Good morning, everyone. Great to be here. As Mario said, my name is Jacob Arjon. I, uh, along with my amazing wife Tiffany, I'll be the uh, campus manager here at Lifeway. So, uh, it's an awesome day. I'm surprised they have energy because last night we had this crazy dance, but they're all excited to be here. So, and man, that's great. And so, I hope you guys have been having a good weekend, a good past couple weeks. Uh, I just want to share quickly before I get into my lesson. Just, I've been encouraged by my ministry lately. We've been having a lot of fun, and uh, actually, kind of spent down with them. Throughout the whole weekend, like every hour pretty much, it was pretty crazy. So starting Friday night, we had kind of more low-key game night, study night. I know the Cal State Lake group, uh, they uh, studied a little bit, played some games, went out to the infamous King Taco. I know everyone loves that place. And then Saturday morning, so yesterday morning, uh, a couple of the guys went out to the track. Why do you ask? Because there was some smack talking going around in some of the students of who can run a faster mile. And so we decided to put it to a test and see who can run the fast. Because most of us haven't run since high school and stuff, and middle school. And so we wanted to see how we did, how we're doing. Some of us did pretty good, had pretty good form. You know, that's uh, me on the left there, and uh, Brandon, he, he ran tracks. So he had pretty good form and stuff. Some people had a hard go at it. A little more rough time. Carlos. And what's funny is that this student, Carlos Renderos, was actually the one talking the most smack. And, and so we ran in pairs, and Carlos went last with his uncle, Jose Rodriguez. And uh, Jose beat him by a good amount. Not only that, he's by far the oldest guy out there. He had the best mile out of all of us. So he had like a 639, which is pretty good. 639 is pretty impressive mile time. And uh, I actually had the second fastest at 6.59. So the two oldest guys beat all the young bucks. So that was good. It's good to humble the college students. Amen. So that was that morning. And that night we had that big dance. And so I saw my college students again uh, last night. And that was a lot of fun every year. The LA Campus Ministry puts on this big dance for all the regions. And it's a, a blast. San Diego, San Diego even came too. Great time. They had a donut bar. And uh, a really cool photo booth. My wife actually made those emoji signs herself, so that was pretty impressive. Those were homemade. And uh, yeah, all our students had a great time. And they even played a nice little slow dance song from the married couples out there. So I got to dance with my wife, and that was, that was nice. And now we're t- together again for church this Sunday. And then after this, we're going to probably go eat lunch and do some more Bible studies and just... That's kind of the life of the campus ministry. Seeing each other all the time, studying together, dancing together, eating a lot of food together, and hopefully bringing out some more people to Christ and uh, loving God and loving each other. And I say all this, and it makes me think of the church in Acts. So let's go to Acts chapter 2, because I know this is all the church we desire to be, and I think it's a good reminder of what the church is all about. So Acts chapter 2. So many many of us have read this before, but for those who have not, this is a... Right after 3,000 people just got baptized and the church just started. And so this is, a, this is a really cool passage that describes what the church's character looks like right after all these people came in. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It reads, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes 
and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. This is an amazing passage that we might read it a lot, but it should never lose its weight because it is an incredible fellowship. This is an incredible community. They're constantly, I like to describe this community as an active family. They're a family because they're close, they love each other, but they're active, they're doing things for God and for each other. And what's encouraging for me is I see elements of that church here in the Lifeway Church, which is great, and that's cool. I think that we as a whole are pretty devoted to reading our Bibles and prayer and communion, as Mary talked about this morning, and uh, also just to the fellowship. I think many of us meet together a good amount, maybe not as much as the college ministry does, but a good amount. See these guys every single day, it's... uh, Having got sick of them, yes, that's good. So, we meet together constantly, and I love the whole uh, breaking bread in each other's home and eating together. I think we do that pretty good here in Lifeway. Uh, my wife and I have been here for almost two years, and I'm happy to say that we've actually been invited over to about 16 different families to have dinner and them to host us, and that warms my heart. And some of those families, multiple times, more than once, so around 20 or so meals, so basically once a month, we just get invited to a couple's home or family's home, and they, they feed us, they live up on us, and it's like, wow, that's, that's unique about our church. That's really awesome. That's great. So we eat together, and all those meals we're eating with gladness and sweet hearts. That's good. Good food. We have, we have some good cooks here in Lifeway. But the one thing that maybe, and we also were committed to uh, helping reach out to other people. We're probably not seeing people being saved daily, but we all strive to get there, and we want to uh, make disciples. That's our theme for this year. But the one unique thing that I think that we don't really ever see that much nowadays is verse 45, which says, They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Wow. That's pretty radical. Not only were they giving to the poor, they were selling their possessions to give to the poor. That is pretty intense. And this isn't the only time you see the first church in Acts do this. They do this actually a good amount throughout the Bible. And it's very impressive. And so, uh, the title of my lesson uh, today is More to Give. And I want to talk about this first church and how this was a part of their DNA. Everyone who was a part of the church back then was constantly looking for more ways to give. And hopefully we can be inspired today to reflect on our lives and how we're doing with our giving and see if we have more in the tank as well. So let's go to Acts chapter 4. Let's read another passage here that's kind of right after Acts chapter 2. And it's very similar but it highlights even more the church's giving hearts. So Acts chapter 4, starting verse 32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had, everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work with them, all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Again, this is an amazing passage. Especially the part that says no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. And that's the definition of me, casa, su, casa, right? They shared so much that it was like, what's mine is yours all around. And they shared so much that there's actually no needy people 
in that fellowship. Why? Because all the people that had something constantly sold their stuff to provide for those who had not as much. And they kept on selling their stuff day after day. One guy named Joseph got a shout-out and even got a whole nickname based off a field that he sold and gave to the apostles to give to the poor. And it feels like this entire fellowship just keeps on going through this mode of, I'm just giving, I'm giving. What I have to give, I'm going to give that. Is there more for me to give? Yes, there is. I'm going to give that too. And it's a dynamic group. But then you get to Acts chapter 5, and something happens. It's different from the character of this church so far. It's Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Let's talk about a couple here called, um, called Ananias and Sapphira. So, in verse 1, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of the property. With his wife's full knowledge... He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Did it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. So what's happening here? This couple sold their land just like everyone's been doing, just like Barnabas. But they probably did it just to get human recognition. They wanted to be heroes like Barnabas. Maybe get a cool nickname like Barnabas, like the other givers of the church at this time. But they didn't do it selflessly, and they didn't even give all the money that they got. And they actually were deceitful. They said, oh, here is what the land was. I got the land." But they held some of it back. So they wanted the praise of being heroes without the sacrifice of all their money being gone. And Peter caught them in their act. And let's read what happens next. In verse 5, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. So Ananias died for this lie. And the story is not over yet. Verse 7, let's talk about the wife. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the lands? So he's giving her a chance to be honest. But she says, yes, she said, that is the price. Verse 9, Peter said to her, how can you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. They just didn't dig him that day. Okay. Great fear seized the whole church once again, and all who heard about these events. So the wife and the husband both lied, and they both died for their deceits. We can take a lot of things from this story. It's a pretty intimidating story, right? First, I think this story proves just, again, the dynamic of the church at this time, that everyone was giving, everyone was selfless, everyone was, was sacrificing. And that makes Ananias and Sapphira stick out like a sore thumb. They were a major contrast between the rest of that community. I think secondly, it tells us that God really was on board and was probably thrilled and excited about this community at this time. What they were doing and was excited about all the sacrifices, and wasn't willing to let the church be tarnished just yet. And so he intervened and said, no, no, no. We're not going to have two selfish people 
disrupt the flow of this giving church. But what I really want us to focus on the rest of this morning is this. The first Christians to ever die in the church died at the hand of God, and they died because they acted like there was nothing more for them to give, when in reality they were withholding. How about us? Do we withhold? Are we constantly looking for ways to increase our faith, grow in a relationship with God and others, and do more? Or do we sit back, pat ourselves on the back, and act like we've already given a lot, when in reality, we're barely scratching the surface? I can see how I was doing that frustrates God because it really frustrated my dad growing up. So a quick story about me and my dad. My dad is, as many dads are, very handy, and he had a green thumb, so he loved doing things outside the house and all these projects. And uh, I, as a younger teen, wasn't always excited about doing that. Uh, I'd rather play video games, watch TV, play basketball, something, anything but be out on the dirt with my dad in the blistering sun, uh, digging a hole and planting planting plants. And so I had different ways to get out of it. One was I would just act aloof and not act like I didn't know what I was doing. Some of that would get frustrated, tell me to go inside. But my go-to was always, I would act really tired and work really slowly. Like, doing this was such a drain. Because poor little old Jake, he could do two-a-day football practices, but he can't spend 15 minutes outside guarding with his dad. That was just too much for, for little old Jake. Little young Jake, I guess you could say. And so my dad would just get fed up, so Jake, just go inside. Don't want to help? Just go inside. Because he'd rather be not go outside and help at all than for me to go outside and act like what I was doing was a huge burden. And no, me, I'm like Smokey the Bear trying to preserve a natural forest. No, I'm just, I'm helping my dad plant a couple plants. And so he hated that. He hated me acting like I was using so much of my energy and I was so spent when obviously I had so much more in the tank and I could have really helped him if I had a good attitude. This is how we can be sometimes with God. We can say, oh, all right, this morning, I went to church, came on time, fellowship, I smiled, gave hugs. I even took some notes at the sermon today. Now it's time to go home and relax. Man, I need to veg out. That was a lot for me. I'm barring me good spirits for the next couple of days. I'm, I'm pretty tapped out. Guys, we can act that way with God. When it comes to our personal Bible study, our prayer life, our evangelism, our contribution, that's an easy one for us to act like that. To sit back and to watch how much we give and say, you know what, I'm a, I'm a good giver. Look at me. I know that's really easy for me to do. Uh, church, to be honest, I, my wife and I use the Every Dollar app, which helps us budget out our expenses, which is really good. Um, and I love Every Dollar because they have, for many reasons, but one of those reasons is they have a, um, a chart that shows the breakdown of what you give to each like, topic in your life. And so and I see the giving part, and I look at that, and I'm, I'm pleased with myself. It's like, yeah, Jake, I give consistently. It's probably above average. Look at me. Look how awesome I am. And the problem with that is that when we do these things, is look at what I've done versus what more can I do. And the what more can I do was the DNA that enveloped the church in the book of Acts. They didn't sit back and look at, oh, how I gave, how I gave, how I listened, how I preached, how I served. Like, okay, what else can I do? 
I sold one thing, how can I sell something else? They constantly were looking for what more can I do? I have more to give. I must have more to give. So let me give what I have. Instead of a, look at me. I am doing above average here. And I think this challenges me because that's kind of how I can determine where I give spiritually. I could look at the general norm or where everyone else is at and do a little bit more above average and sit back and be happy by myself because I'm giving is somewhat above marginal. So I'm being honest up here, guys. Can anyone else here relate? Anyone else feel like sometimes you can be underwhelming and you're giving to God? And more just do it just to get some reward, get some praise, get a cookie, than actually figuring out what more can I do for God? Then let's look at this church because they got something right here. I think that's a part of what was in their DNA was that everyone thought that they could do more, so they did. I think a problem with our society is that many of us don't think we can. Also, many of us don't like the feeling of being extra. It's not cool to be extra. That's kind of lame to do more than you need to, right? And especially I'm not a natural-born leader. I shouldn't go out and do more in this certain criteria. I should just kind of stay within the pack and just do what average Joes do. But that's not how this church operated. Everyone did all that they could. And obviously some people had different gifts, but they used all their gifts to their fullest potential. And sometimes that's not what we automatically do. And this is shown very clearly in Acts chapter 8. You guys can turn there. So in Acts chapter 8, the church gets some serious persecution. Actually, in Acts chapter 7, a man dies. The first ever Christian to be murdered at the hand of the Sanhedrin, which is like the Jewish rabbis at the time. So he gets stoned to death. And in Acts chapter 8 happens, and it's a pretty intimidating passage. So Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul proved that they were killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, and more deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. This is looking dark and bleak. And I know many of us know the story, but it doesn't end there. But if you're just never heard of the Bible, just reading the book of Acts just to read it, you'd probably assume, oh man, the church, this is where they end. They start to get persecuted. Now it's like open season, people are getting killed. And it says that everyone gets scattered back to their homeland except the apostles, except the main leaders. This church is done with. It's over. And you would think that, man, this movement... I guess God's hand wasn't really with them. Because, yeah, they did some cool things. They grew to like tens of thousands in Jerusalem. But as soon as they got first sign of persecution, they scattered. And all the leaders stayed in the one city. And it never grew from there. They could not handle the heat. That's what I would be thinking if I'm reading this for the first time. But then verse 4 happens. And it reads, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And this is why the church did not die. Because God was inspiring not just the leaders, but every single individual in this community that they all had more to give. And they all could be doing more. And so if I was a member of that church, like, sweet, awesome, I'm going back home. Now I get to plant a church. Now I get to preach. Now I get to do things like Apostle Peter did. Because I have more to give now. This is amazing. 
And guys, we have them to thank for the fact that Christianity is alive or alive today, that we have the Bible. Because these individuals did not stop at look what I have done. They constantly asked themselves, what more can I do? And things kept going and spreading from there. And I'm inspired by their hearts. I'm also inspired by some of the guys in my group who have shown that to me just this past week. They got more left in the tanks to give to God. I'll share about a few of them. Uh, Brandon Rowan, he's a student at USC. I remember just a, a year ago, it would be a lot for him to sit in a couple Bible studies and just take notes. It would be a sacrifice for him to do that. And nowadays, he's setting up and leading like three Bible studies on his own. And now I'm taking notes. Like, come on, Brandon. That guy's got more left in the tank to give to God. And he showed that this past week. I also want to lift up my guy, Kyle. Uh, Kyle, he's, he shared with over 300 people this week. Asked over 300 people, hey, would you want to study the Bible? And got a lot of contacts, a lot of numbers from that. And Kyle, if you've ever done that before, you know how intimidating that can be, how scary that can be. And Kyle is probably just as insecure and afraid as any of us would be. He told me he had to psych himself up, play a couple songs, walk around a little bit, get, 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 get pumped up. But then he would start to speak and got on a roll and share over 300 people, by far the most he's ever done. Because he had more left to give. I also want to talk about the Rodriguez's, where our campus shepherds uh, It's been super encouraging to have them here. And we felt very grateful and very encouraged, and just I felt very supported by their presence. A few months back, they decided they wanted to change because they thought they had more to give. And now they're mentoring college students. They're in Bible studies this past Thursday. For their Valentine's Day, they spent it with the college students. They hosted my wife and I and the two dating couples in ministry over for a dinner. Made an amazing meal. We had games and we just had a great time. And they did this because they thought, that, hey, we have more to give here. And it doesn't matter where you're at right now with God, in your relationship with God, if you're feeling hot, feeling cold, if you're just starting to come out to church or whatever, all of us have more to give because all of us have more to do for God and for others. I want to talk about Kevin. Kevin just started coming out of church again just about a month ago. And this man's been a servant. He is driving everyone around. And he has a Toyota that has over 200,000 miles on it. But he is pushing that car to its limits because he and that car both have more to give. And Kevin, I'm proud of you, man. And you're doing great. Even newer than Kevin, there's a guy named Noah I've been standing by with for the past couple weeks. And, uh, I seriously cannot outgive this guy. My first Bible study with him, he came and he brought me Chick-fil-A. I was like, what? Alright, man. Because he was super grateful for the opportunity to study the Bible. I'm like, okay, man, that's awesome, bro. So, I, so he challenged me, so I'm going to give back. So next time we meet up, uh, I provide uh, the funds for Burger King. Has some uh, nuggets and some fries. But he comes... He comes to that study already carrying snacks with him. So he starts pulling out snacks, cookies, and chips. And I, being the goober I am, I actually drop a bag of cookies on the floor. So I actually tarnished his gifts. And the very next time I meet up with him, he brings that same exact brand of cookies and gives it, gives it back. I was like, man, I cannot outgive this guy. So guys, the church and the book of Acts and my guys and my life, they inspire me that, hey, we all have more to give. And I want to give more. I want to talk specifically about special missions. Last year, I think I just 
I gave my tax return because it was just about the right amount of my 10 times. But guys, me saying that, that just sounds weak. Like, really? I'm just going to give my tax return? That's, that costs me nothing. That is no sacrifice to me. I'm sure that my wife can have something to sell. I'm sure somewhere in there we can do some type of yard sale. I'm sure there's something more that we can do. But that's not how I've been thinking. I think, okay, look at me, look at me. Look at what I'm doing instead of, hey, Jake, what more can I give? And I want to be a man that gives more, that tests the limits, that tests my potential, and not just stay to the status quo of where I'm comfortable. I think what the story of Ananias and Sapphira ultimately teaches us is that God hates when we act like we've done all we can, when we all have more to give. God hates when we act like we've done all we can, when we all have more to give. I want to close my lesson going, going back to the why because uh, I think this church all thought they all could give. Let's talk about why they give. And we actually just read it in Acts chapter 4. We kind of skipped over it though. So Acts chapter 4 verse 33. It says, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. It was God's grace. God's grace compelled them to be Evangelists, God's grace compelled them to give and sell all their possessions. God's grace made them realize, I have more to give. I'm going to give it because I cannot outgive God. And God's given so much to me already. They were so encouraged and grateful that God's already forgiven them of their sins, brought them into this amazing community, given them the Holy Spirit, and that their names, because of God, are written up in heaven. And they have a room waiting for them that Jesus is reserving for them. And for that reason, they never settled for the status quo. They're constantly looking for more ways that we can give to God. Amen. More ways that I can give to God. Because they knew the Father in Heaven always went out, all out for them. The church, what about us? Again, once again, God hates when we act that we've done all we can, when we all know we have more to give to God. Let's be compelled by grace. I mentioned a couple things earlier. Bible study, prayer life, evangelism, fellowship, Connection, I guess you could say. Contribution. For many of us, we're just kind of just doing what we're doing. And not saying we're not doing stuff. We're all probably doing something. But we're probably comfortable and excited about what we're doing. And we feel like, good job. I'm doing something. That's great. Hopefully you guys are doing something in all those areas. If not, that could be your first step of growth. But I encourage you guys to reflect and just choose one of those five or so that you want to push it a little bit more. And say, you know what? I can give more. Just like Kyle and Brandon and the Rodriguez's and Noah and Kevin, I, I can do more for the fellowship for God. I can I have more to give here. I want to give more of my special missions this year, God. That's a conviction I have that I've um, been thinking about these past couple days because I have more to give. Let's be compelled by the grace of God and figure out how we can stretch ourselves more and more because we all have more to give. Amen. 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 I'm going to pray for you guys and you're dismissed and have an awesome uh, day of service, all right? Amen. Okay. Uh, dear God, thank you so much just for uh, this wonderful uh, service, wonderful day, uh, time to be alive, to worship you. God, thank you for reminding us just uh, what we have in you. Just you have given us an amazing life, amazing chance to be your disciple, amazing chance of salvation, and given this amazing community to be a part of so we can all be a part of this and glorify you. God, help us to reflect today on what we've been giving and different areas of our spirituality and decide to push the limits just a little bit more. And I get caught up in, though, look at me, look at me, 
I'm so spiritual, but really be asking ourselves, okay, what's, that's cool, I'm spiritual, but what, can I, what else can I do? What more can I do for you, God? Because you've given us so much. We can never outgive you, God, but let us try to give all we can. Love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.